Views and opinions expressed by callers, guests, and hosts do not necessarily reflect those of the Black Talk Radio Network and Black Talk Media Project. Black Talk Radio is new black media for the new millennium. Let your wise rise up, see the signs of the times, if it's time, rise up, rise up. When death and hell dwell among all God's people, when those we chose and trusted have become completely corrupted and inherently evil, when the feast that feeds you starves our father's children, when snuff porn and pedo forms begin to get top billing, rise up, when famine claims millions. Uh, peace and welcome to New Abolitionist Radio. I thought I had unmuted you, um, Max. Uh, is that your line? Because I'm unable to hear you. Okay, Max, give me just a second. There is some engineer error on my part. So take two, Max, you're on. All right. Peace and welcome to New Abolitionist Radio, a program that seeks to educate inform and agitate on the issue of 21st century slavery hosted by social activist and spoken word poet Max Parthas with new abolitionist and actionist Johanan Elia and Black Talk Media Project founder Scotty Reed. On this program we discuss recent news on legalized 21st century slavery and human trafficking along with projects and people who helped combat it. Today is September 21st, 2016. Cognitive dissonance, doublethink, denial. We'll address those tonight. We'll also talk about the most recent killings by police, the murders inside prison walls by guards, and the uprisings happening week after week across America. We're two weeks into the National Prison Labor Work Strike, and we plan on calling some folks out about their silence on the matter. It's three days before the Missouri Cures 13th uh, Annual Human Rights Conference, where I will be the keynote speaker, and it's been a long time since slavery abolitionist was a keynote speaker. Johanan will give a presentation, and Tribal Rain will be performing heart-stopping poetry at a human rights conference. Tell KCMO the abolitionists are coming. We're going to cover all of that more tonight on New Abolitionist Radio. Right now, text, post, to share the program and tell them to listen in at blacktalkradionetwork.com. New questions, real answers, and legitimate solutions. You might not like them, but over and over We've been the only ones making any sense of all of this. Our track record speaks for itself. So let's get this program started. Our rider of the 21st Century Underground Railroad is Jerome Morgan, who was wrongly arrested at age 17 and prosecuted for, the mur- for murder. On May 27, 2016, the Orleans Parish District Attorney dismissed the second-degree murder charges against Jerome, and he was finally exonerated. As usual, our abolitionist in profile this week will be provided by Scotty Reed. Expect all of that and more. If you'd like to share a comment or question, call in and join us at one 641 715 The access code is 549 Just press star six and one to queue up from the conference line. And also, if you'd just like to share the phone number, people can listen in from the conference line on the same telephone number. Make a move to abolish 21st century slavery. 
and join the new Black Talk Radio Network social network as we make our exodus from Facebook. It's at www.community.blacktalkradionetwork.com. Once again, I'm Max Parkins. What's happening, Brother Scotty? Um, lots of things are going on, as you hinted to in your opening statement right there. Um, lots of rebellions occurring both on the plantation and off the plantation. So there is no shortage of news to talk about. Um, did we have a guest schedule? I do have a quick question. Or is this Johanan who is calling us uh, from a number I don't recognize? Uh, area code 913, who do we have on the line? It's Johanna. Peace, brother. What's up, Johanna? Good to be here. Good to be here. Uh, good to hear hear your voice, but it would be better if we could get that voice just a little bit louder now. Okay. Can you hear me a little bit better? Is it coming in a little bit better now? Yes, sir. Yeah, a little bit better. Okay. I'll try to make sure I'm speaking into the mic. Yeah, I'm on a... I'm calling you from the phone. I'm not at my at my usual location for the broadcast tonight, but I'm I'm calling in from the phone, so I'll be like a caller tonight. Man, a uh, couple of things is going on like right now today. They're just pretty mind blowing. One of the biggest things that uh, I've been seeing is what just came out from Sean King's desk. Did you see that? Um, not yet. Uh, could you give us a hint you, as to what you're referring you're about to? About the 13th Amendment. Yeah, you know oh, I've been yes. riding Sean King now for months, both publicly yeah. and privately, reaching out to him, reaching out to him, and he put out a, a long uh, explanation of what's going on with modern day slavery and the 13th Amendment, pointing the fingers directly at it. And, you know, he's like one of the most widely read uh, journalists in the country right now. So that's. For me, I think that's a huge victory just to get this brother to point it out, to say it clearly like he knows it. I would agree it is certainly a victory in terms of the propaganda efforts of the abolitionist community, which has always been key. I think I may have mentioned that on a previous broadcast where I talked about the role of, of newspapers uh, whether they were abolitionist papers that were published by black people like Frederick Douglass and and many others whose names escaped me, but it was quite a few black publishers who were uh, operating abolitionist papers and pushing abolitionist propaganda. And uh, so you had, had black publishers and white publishers who were publishing propaganda uh, to uh, push the masses to view slavery in its proper context context as an evil institution i mean it, it just really doesn't get any eviler when you uh um you know use violence to impose your will on on human beings with free will so i mean that's just a heinous crime and and so with sean king now publishing that like you mentioned you know, especially connected to the protest and coverage concerning slave catchers killing and not only killing but getting away with their murders. He has been key in pushing out articles and, and what have you uh, from his position with the New New York Daily News. I know, um, I know uh, quite a few people, like you said, does fo do follow his work, and he does the pen does his pen does have great influence. And so, you know, now we got him 
finally stating the 13th Amendment and making the connection to slavery and not just to the prisons, but to what we're seeing in the streets. It's all connected to slavery. These are slave patrols. These are slave catchers. I know that we have been inundated with propaganda that says, no, these are uh, people who are protecting us. These are the defenders of, of our rights. and things. But now you see that's not true when you have police unions across the country threatening to boycott uh, sporting events where they're getting paid anyway, you know, whether they're on duty or off duty, but threatening to not do their duty because they don't like the freedom of speech of, of you know, uh, that has happened with a couple of NBA players or teams wearing Black Lives Matter shirts or I Can't Breathe shirts. And here's these slave catchers letting you know that they don't view their job as protecting the citizens, quote unquote, constitutional rights. No, 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 no. Their main job is slave catching and then ticket writing all to generate revenue, all to to generate an industry that has pin, spinoff industries and many of the industries, um, you know, use their labor. And it's just, I, I don't think people really recognize how big slavery is today. It's, it's as big, if not bigger, or I should say central to America's economy right now than when it was in the 1700s or the 1800s is still very, very big. The thing is, is that our perception has been one that has been created by mainstream corporations in the news through media period, whether we're talking about Hollywood movies, TV, and of course, academia, which which has, um, again, I mean, anybody who's calling themselves a man of letters or a woman with a degree or you're supposed to be so smart, then why are you telling people slavery was abolished when it is evident the 13th Amendment says it's reserved as punishment for crime? And then, you know, we know the mechanisms that are still active today that was put in place to keep that free labor that is so central to uh, America's economy, that slave labor. So um, that is huge for him to say that. And again, October the 7th, um, not we're not far away uh, on Netflix and theaters across the country should be showing the documentary, The 13th, uh, by Ava DuVernay, the celebrated black filmmaker who also produced Selma. You know, even the History Channel's getting on board. <clears throat> they just recently put out a video from Brian Stevenson from the Equal Justice Initiative, and, you know, he's an abolitionist as well, and we've not only uh, applauded him but critiqued him here on uh, New Abolitionist Radio, and they put out a video of his asking, asking the question of their listeners and viewers, do you think slavery is over, or did slavery end in 1865? And, you know, that's the question that we've been trying to get people to ask themselves over and over again. So now you've got the History Channel even getting in on it. And all of this is happening simultaneously with prison slave labor work strikes across the entire country, uh, extrajudicial murders by police, and a long list of police who are walking away with no convictions. Nobody's being convicted for all these things. And at the same time, we're also seeing through the Justice Department uh, the uncovering of how these industries are being used 
as a for-profit business venture in these communities and municipalities and cities and even statewide. So all of this is to come together and it culminated. I think the thing that pushed it over the edge was the Department of Justice's decision to phase out private prisons. When, when it happened, we knew right there and then that the ripple effects would begin from that point, which was uh, August 18th, Outward, And we're only a, a month into this now, a little bit more than a month into it, and look at all the effects that have already occurred. Once you start talking about this, the truth is going to come out. It's no evading it. Because if you ask these questions, there can only be one answer. Slavery did not end in 1865. Slavery is still going on right now. It's just, as Brian Stevenson said, evolved. And to add what, to what you just said, Scotty, it is very likely that what we see now is larger than the transatlantic slave trade in the terms of pure numbers. Like here in America, oh, we've got 24 million people a year going through our justice system, and that's just America. Right, right. And I, I don't want to hog the mic. I want to give Johanan a chance to give his opening thoughts yeah. on his observations. But I'll just say this again. As far as I'm concerned, when we launched New Abolitionist Radio, um, shout out to Legacy Leonard, um, who is with the Ancestors now, one of the first uh, co-hosts on New Abolitionist Radio. But when we launched this program roughly four years ago, I would say our mi our mission has been fulfilled, and our mission was simply was to get the language of the Thirteenth Amendment and the fact that slavery was never abolished into the mainstream. So I would say with Sean King publishing that in the New York Daily, I've seen other articles, maybe not so mainstream, but again, with Ava DuVernay's film coming out, titled The 13th, taking, examining the 13th Amendment, I would say New Abolitionist Radio mission has been successful. To date, yes, indeed. Uh, not only do we see this in advance and predict everything that would occur, but we had a large hand in pushing it in this direction. And as I said before, it really ain't about our narrative. It's about the truth. If, if you're right. looking at this situation and you're considering it logically, you can only come to one conclusion. And for us to get it out there, that narrative out there, is going to make all the difference in the world. It already is making all the difference in the world. Brother Johanan, you want to say something, Seth? Well, just, uh, just definitely agree with y'all about everything that's been said so far, and, and um, I mean, yes, it, the the original intent being to get the information out there, of course, but I feel like now, like it's much more legitimized, and I'm even at a point in my own personal life where I'm looking at, I'm looking for the jump off point to make the transition into you know full time like there's room now I feel like versus uh, years ago when I came and joined the program you know I would get one or two opportunities a year to speak on this and be reaching out to people all year long and get one or two opportunities to you know sit in front of a group of people and tell them about what's going on and take questions and try to inform people but we're at a point now where I'm legitimately looking at you know month to month having uh, different events in different places to be able to speak to people and and you know, looking at it like a job to be able to turn it up to get, you know, once once a month or, or a couple of times a month, maybe once a week, having some sort of an abolitionist live meeting, a town hall, a real place to sit in front of people and start growing the local base 
and then looking to travel with it and continue to do what the what the ancestors already did before. It's it's there now. I feel like it's on the table. Yes, it's it's certainly on the table. People are becoming very much aware of it. And as you know, this is something that I've been doing for a long time, going from place to place to place, sitting down with a few or many. It didn't matter. As long as I could get them to listen for a moment and come to a conclusion. And this is something that we're about to do in three days from now uh, at the Missouri Cures 13th Annual Conference. You, myself, Tribal Rain, I think that's going to be an incredibly impactful and powerful presentation of all the people involved there. And I think that it will lead to some real change. But I'm yep. always on a positive note, you know what I mean? I got to keep hope alive, brother. I got it, because if I ever feel like hope is gone, I might as well just lay down and die. No, I agree with you. It's people that I met uh, over the last couple of years that I've been going to the Missouri Cure Conference, uh, the, the state conference, that I've you know, been in continued contact with over the years since we first met, and we've all been a part of seeing how this thing has continued to grow and become more widely recognized and impact local as well as national politics and, and, and policy overall. So I'm, uh, I look at uh, Max Parthas coming to town as being, you know, one of, the, one of the highlights, if not the crown jewel of getting the abolitionist message, message out here locally. Like I've been telling y'all, okay, well now here he is. So you can hear from him too. And you can see what I've been saying is the truth. You can, you can try to fight against it, but it's just no logical or truth-based argument you can make against this so it'll yeah. be interesting to see when you get here yeah also yeah, I, I would say that you know there's still many minds to reach and but I think that those minds are much more receptive to the message of abolitionism than they were a year ago um, like for example I was trying to um, you know I, I was giving my, one of my uncles who is almost 70 he's been retired for a few years now and, talk, you know, giving him the abolitionist talk as we was talking about, you know, issues that's going on, uh, what he calls mass incarceration and what have you. And I could just tell I, whenever I talk to a person, I can tell where they get their information from. And unfortunately, my uncle, like millions of other people, are get all the information from the alphabet corporations that that claim to be putting out news media but they're only sharing half the information and then that's with a state agenda so you know he accused me of being a conspiracy theorist and what have you and and so my other family members that are abolitionists and know this slave they had to tell them well then just go read the 13th go read the 13th but it but i can remember man when i um would first begin to talk about people, man. They look at you like you crazy, like you coming out of left field from somewhere. What? Who you been talking to? What? What? What are you talking about? I mean, everybody knows slavery was abolished. Then, okay, explain to me the Thirteenth Amendment. Then, so again, I am excited about it. It it's just seems to be more fertile ground out there for planting the seeds of abolitionism. Indeed, as Sean King stated. The 13th Amendment, the entire 13th Amendment is only 47 words long. If you can't find the time to read 47 words, you are freaking useless. Just go jump off a bridge somewhere. You know what I mean? You can find the time to do all kinds of things. You can't read 47 words, and then once you read it, you need to understand what it says. It's very clear. 
except for prisoners duly convicted. And then you have to think to yourself, that's always been there. From the very beginning, it has always been there. And it has been in application since 1863. They applied it through the black codes and convict leases. Then they later on applied it through uh, Jim Crow and chain gangs. And then they later applied it through Unicor. And now it's mass incarceration. And you also have to come to a conclusion that these are people's lives on the line. They're dying here. People are dying by the thousands. Innocent people while we try to figure out what the problem is. Problem slavery. Period. The problem is slavery. <laughs> That's it. I remember my friend uh, Jessica Patrice Dorsey said that, like, anything you ask, Max, what the problem is, he's going to give you one answer, slavery. Because really it is the root cause of everything. From the very beginning of this nation's conception to right now, that has always been the problem. And it's been the problem because we never got rid of it. We thought we got rid of it. They bamboozled us. Lincoln betrayed everybody, made you think that it was over. But while you were dancing and singing and playing violins out in New York, they were enslaving people in South Carolina. Man. So I shared the article at New Abolitionist Radio. If anybody wants to read it, you should read it. It's, uh, it's worth reading. Um, I'm hoping, as Johanan pointed out, that he takes this now and his mindset changes. Because once you realize this is slavery, you can no longer address it as if it wasn't. You can't talk about it as if it's a mistake, something that can be reformed. Because now you don't said it's slavery. And you either believe that or you don't. And if you believe it, then you have to address the entire system in a completely separate way. You have to look at it in a separate way. You have to react to it in a different way. It's no longer what you thought it was, and you can no longer hold on to the arguments you had for something else. I mean, I started as much as as much as possible without sounding re, uh, like, you know, um, well, I do have an agenda, and that agenda is to end slavery. But more and more in my writings or when I write a, a, a script to produce a video or a commentary, an audio commentary, I just pretend that I'm in the 1800s and I use that kind of language. This is slave catchers. <laughs> the, you know, the, one, the woman who uh, killed the uh, man, uh, Terrence Crutcher in, in Tulsa. She was a five-year veteran of the Tulsa Slave Patrols. I use that kind of language, you know what I'm saying? Because it more accurately relays the situation that, that we're in. It's no different than what people found themselves in in the 1800s or 1700s or the 1600s on this continent. Man, I was looking at the replies about this Sean King post, and everybody's in agreement. Like, he finally came aboard. You know what I mean? Like, when you see somebody on the edge who knows all of these things and still pussyfooting around, you just want to reach through the paper or the phone or TV and smack the hell out of him. And apparently he has finally woken up. Let's hope he stays awake. And let's hope many others start waking up. I'm waiting for us to hear this from these presidential nominees, whether it be the Green Party, the Blue Party, the Democratic Party, the Republican Party, or the Spaceship Party. I want to hear them start talking about it. Well, um, the Green Party has um, uh, what's his name? Baraka? Right. Uh, a gentleman? 
Ajamu Baraka has uh, spoken out in support of the prison slavery rebellions uh, that have been going on nationally. If you check uh, social media like Twitter under the hashtag prison strike, you will see that Jill Stein has also been tweeting in support of the modern day victims of slavery. And, and um, they are accepting, they're not trying to change the narrative. They are accepting the narrative that the prisoners themselves uh, have been giving. And I would again point out some of, of those who have been identified as leaders in the movement have been on this program. And um, we supported them in actions in, in the past. So um, I have tweeted at Hillary Clinton, at Donald Trump, at Gary Johnson, as well as Jill Stein. And Jill Stein was the only one that replied to um, the prison strikes. But no commentary thus far from any of the other uh, people that I named. That in itself is telling right there that they won't mention anything about the the nation's largest prison labor strike in the history of this country. And uh, we're talking about, you know, uh, people all across America, inside and outside of prisons. Forty facilities are involved. I believe there's uh, 20 some odd states are involved in this. Right here in South Carolina, the prisons are on lockdown. They put the organizers into solitary confinement. They're stopping family visits and communications. All for what? So they can no longer uh, organize this labor strike. Now, why would they not want a labor strike? I mean, why would they say, you know, you can't do this? It's because you're using their labor as slave labor. I mean, right now, there's a factory in California that has a Verizon call center where 30 or 40 people were working, and that call center didn't show up for work. And Verizon's like, whoa, hey, where's our employees? Your employees that were making 11 cents an hour doing a job in prison that people should be getting paid 18 to $20 an hour outside. It's just, it's, it's frustrating. And at the same time, it's celebratory because everything is going on. You gotta, if you guys are like me and I know you are, you're having just so many different emotions going through you at this point in history, because it is a very key point in history. This will either decide whether or not we're going to continue as a slave state or if we're going to end it. You know, I'm on Unicor.gov right now and I wanted to read to you a schedule of their products and services. Unicor is again, and I also tweeted at the CEO of USA Inc. That would be at POTUS, which right now that uh, Twitter account is manned by President Obama, CEO of USA Inc., Unicor is owned by U, uh, USA Inc. And uh, I've gotten no response from him or or any any representative over the course of the years that I have asked to comment on why is the United States government operating a private prison that provides all kind of services and products that corporations are taking advantage of and, and buying goods made by prison uh, um victims of slavery so you know um it's not coming up um the page that is and i suspect that's on purpose man because this started i started having problems with their websites and what and what have you uh shortly after we started reporting so i'm trying to go to their home page yeah they have personally blocked me 
they have personally blocked me, so you might be able to get to Unicorn because I have been on their website and taken screenshots, made videos where you can hear me talking while um, you are watching the website, and I put out a few videos showing you the products and services of Unicorn, and they're blocking me uh, right now. I can't even get on the website. Wow. Isn't that something? I see they did the same thing at the South Carolina Department of Corrections website, too, because you just made me remember it. Uh, About a year ago, I went and looked, and they were bragging about how they started their system back in the 1800s, South Carolina uh, Department of Corrections. Of course, they did. One year, immediately after the Emancipation Proclamation, they started the South Carolina prison industries here, which is our number one industry today. They no longer brag about it on their website. Well, Max, under the Federal Bureau of Prisons, BOP.gov, they do have a section in there for Unicor, and it says Unicor, a program that truly works in every sense of the word, and they put works in italics. Unicor is, is the trade name for Federal Prison Industries, a wholly owned, self-sustaining government corporation that sells market price services and quality goods made by inmates. But more importantly, it is also a vital correctional program that assists offenders in learning the skills necessary to successfully transition from convicted criminals to a law-abiding, contributing members of society. Unicor benefits everyone. So the joke of that I don't think I have to, you know, tell you the punchline in all of this. Uh, and But, you know, once you get out of prison, oftentimes you can't find the jobs that they had you doing in prison because why would they hire you at $15 an hour or even $7 an hour when they could pay somebody zero <laughs> cents an hour to you know, less than a dollar an hour. So, I mean, I'm outraged. And, and I heard that Unicor services bring in an estimated almost $1 billion annual, about $900 million annually. In 2012, they were bringing in $900 Now, where does that money go? Has they, have they been audited? Where does this money go? I must ask you. Does it go back to the communities from which these these prisoners were taken from to help fund the schools or after school programs or does it fund any kind of drug treatment centers or whatnot? Where does this nine hundred million go? Or is it providing for the many, many butter biscuit benefits that we know members of Congress get and other uh, government employees. I actually have a video that I wanted to play at some point tonight from the Young Turks, at least a section of it, uh, that will really discuss something of, of, of that matter. It also uh, shows cognitive dissonance in play and double think. Um, but yeah, where is all that money going to? $900 million on slave labor alone, making all kinds of goods and services but not only for the government, but also for corporate entities as well. <laughs> you know, I also just found out something new on the South Carolina Department of Corrections website. It's been completely updated since I exposed it a year ago. But there is something that stands out to me very clearly right now, and I don't think it's a coincidence. They have a link here where it says, Report Offenders' Usage of Cell Phones and Social Media. 
Hmm. See, the last thing you want is an organized slave rebellion. The yeah, very you, last thing. Yeah, you don't want no plantation news getting out there to the general public and what have you. But listen, we do need to take take our break, and I want to give out the phone number. You can stop us at any time. If you have a question or a comment or a story to share, we have had a number of victims of slavery uh, call into the program and, and share their personal stories. And it's not that we're, we get any joy or any kind of pleasure from hearing about the suffering of human beings, but this information has to get out there, and there is nothing like um, of the personal stories of victims of slavery. So that telephone number is 641-715-3660. The participant code is 549-032-POUND. Hit star six and one anytime you want to comment on line. Max, you want to run, take us to the break. <laughs> You're listening to New Abolitionist Radio with Max Parthas, Scotty Reed, and Johanna Nelaya. We'll be right back after these messages. The Black Talk Media Project funds the use of new media technology in efforts to restore independent black voices to the myriad of issues affecting Afro-descendant people all over the planet. If media can control the minds of the masses, as Malcolm X once said, then you must ask yourself, who is in control of the media targeting the masses of black people today? Help bring back independence, self-determination, and respect for black culture in the production of global media by joining the effort to crowdfund new black media for the new millennium. Visit blacktalkmediaproject.org for more information on how you can invest in public black radio for the masses. Peace and welcome back to New Abolitionist Radio. Uh, we're continuing our conversation, which we have every week here, about modern-day slavery and human trafficking. And uh, we are in the midst of a, uh, a change of mindset across the nation as more and more people are coming to grips with what's going on here in the United States of America and abroad with these for-profit prison industries. Um, you know, the people often say that it's not just the private prisons, which they're right, it's the federal and the state prisons and even the jails and detention centers and immigration centers are all involved in this. So we can't just point at the private prisons. The private for-profit prison industry was like pneumonia to an AIDS victim. It's, it just destroyed our entire industry and made it so much worse. And this is a brand new thing, relatively speaking. It's only been around as we know it like this for the past 45 years, with the introduction of the war on drugs by President Nixon, who was forced to resign, crooked President Nixon, who put millions and millions of black people in prisons, and then followed up by Ronald Reagan, who later on introduced the first uh, privately held prison companies here in the United States, and then furthered and excelled by the Clintons, who brought in their crime bills in combination with the birth of the prison industry. Since that time, we have seen the charts go straight up like a mountaintop as far as incarceration is concerned, with no relief in sight. Well, well as we know, discussed, 
as we've discussed, man, it's just a it's just a matter of policy for you know over 150 years. So it's, they continue to try to evolve and escape being captured, being caught, being having the light shined on them about what they're really doing. But it's getting beyond that point now, I believe. I think we finally got to, to the breaking point, as you used to say, uh, critical mass. I think I think we might be there. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking we're about there. I was. Based on my research, 5% of the nation were professed abolitionists during the 1860s, 45% were anti-slavery, uh, and the other 50% were pro-slavery. It's how we ended up in a civil war. You had basically half of the nation about freedom and half of the nation about slavery. And we're here at the same conditions again, where there's a small group of abolitionists really pushing the issue. and sympathizers who agree with us but don't want to stand out and say I'm an abolitionist but understand that this is slavery and are supportive of the issue. In the meantime you've got the other half of the country which we hear them all the time. We read the reports about how they complain about how much money they're losing and how many jobs they're losing by closing down prisons who are pro-slavery, who are all about putting people in prison for profit so they can get their jobs and have their economy in their cities and, you know, the guards can go spend money in the little towns and things like that. They don't have any problem with this human rights issue at all. So we're divided down the middle right about now, I think, and it's really only a matter of time. If we want to change history, and we have to break the chains because we know what the next direction is, which is basically a, a war, a, literally a war against the people. And I don't want to see that. And I know you guys don't really want to see that either. There are ways to stop that, but we really have to step into a no man's land, places where we've never been before. We have to look towards holding people accountable at the highest levels, not just the individual policeman on the beat who's just simply following orders put down by laws that were passed like sagging pants laws from racist legislators, but all the way up to the office of the president and the attorney general of the United States of America. These people need to be held accountable. They don't need to be holding others accountable. They need to be held accountable. So you were mentioning earlier um, you wanted me to play a video um, I'm on yes. the New Abolitionist uh, radio page that's on Facebook. And although we are um, really trying to centralize our efforts and, and, and social media planning and all that on btrcommunity.com, uh, we still will be pushing propaganda through all avenues possible. So uh, I am on the New Abolitionist radio page. Uh, is Did you want me to play one of these videos? I know you yes, mentioned sir. the Young uh, Turks. I want to play the, the Young Turks video. If you could start at the uh, two-minute mark and then end it around the six-minute mark. I just want to hear that section right there, if it's possible. I think that... Like when I was growing up, I took the war on drugs as a given. I was like, well, I, mean, I don't know. Drugs are bad. Drugs are bad. And I've been told my whole life by my parents, by TV, by everyone in authority, drugs are, including pot, are irrevocably, irredeemably bad. And, and so, of course, there should be a war on drugs. So only later as an adult, you get the facts and you begin to realize that's not true. Same thing with the prison labor. I realized... I'd always thought, like, well, of course, prisoners are going to work for pennies on the dollar, like, literally for mm -hmm. a couple of cents an hour. And I was as, like, wait, why? No, no, these guys were absolutely right. That is slavery. Mm -hmm. That's slavery. 
Because it's one thing when they were doing it in the old days, and they were a chain gang, and that was terrible on its own right, and they're breaking rocks and presumably working for the state, and you say, okay, part of your punishment is you know, you're work doing these jobs for the government because the government is imprisoning you, and that's all of us together. It's another thing when you're doing it for private corporations. Then there's no excuse. No, that's it, that's sla- that's the definition of slavery. Uh, well, do we feel? Do we all feel? Or how? I don't know how to phrase it that way. How do we feel about it if the work is done for the state? If it's road I, improvement? If it's imp- yeah, I think that's a little different. Because, yeah, I agree. I mean, in other uh, instances, community service. A lot of people do community service, and that's kind of for the government. That's mm-hmm. kind of for all of us. No and profit for, motive involved. Yeah, no profit. Motive but when you attach a profit motive to it, and Anna's right. It also kills jobs for everybody else. Because yeah. why the hell would they That's hire right. you at fifteen dollars an hour if they can pay this guy twenty cents an hour? And right. remember, we we imprison more people than any other country in the world, right? And so we have a gigantic prison population, many of which are people who are in there for nonviolent offenses like drug possession. And so it's it's this big you know industrial complex that we talk about a lot, right? We m- have this industrial complex where people make money off of imprisoning people, and then corporations make money off of this, these imprisoned people doing slave labor. You know, and then Americans get impacted because they lose jobs as well. So, it, if you think this doesn't impact you at all, because hey, these are prisoners and they should be treated like shit, and I don't care, just know it does impact you. It has an impact on the American economy. There's 2.4 million Americans in prison. Uh, it's not a coincidence that we imprison so many more people over the last several decades, because there's one other twist to the story that nobody talks about, which is that, well, we now allow basically uh, legalized bribery, so the corporation that runs the prisons, plus the corporation that uses the prisoners for almost free labor, both give money to the politicians to not only maintain the system, but to increase the number of prisoners. So then you or your neighbors, well, there's a profit in imprisoning you, and you don't have a lot of power. So off you go to prison. And so now some are beginning to pay a little bit of attention that we're imprisoning too many people for the war on drugs because it's affecting white people more. So the opioid addiction hitting Kentucky and New Hampshire and those places. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden you have Republican legislators going, hmm, now you're arresting my nephew and my cousin. So mm, I don't know that this is a good idea. So that's good. But they have not gotten to this issue. I mean, as Anna, just 20,000 people on strike throughout at least 11 prisons uh, in, I'm sorry, at least 20 prisons in 11 different states, Mm -hmm. yet almost not a peep out of anyone on this. Well, there you go. You hear them talking about it in detail. They're talking about how locking people up for profit uh, is slavery. I mean, he was impassioned about it. This is slavery. There's no doubt about it that this is slavery. And then you heard them go right back into the reformist conversation. Just right back into it, how it affects the economy and it affects you. It's as if the idea that people are being hunted, purchased, sold, leased, worked, abused, murdered, killed, raped, didn't even come into their, their their mindset. It's like, oh, well, this is affecting our paychecks and it's affecting the economy and we need to fix it. You don't have to fix this. There is no fix. There is only one thing you can do with a crime against humanity. You mm-hmm. abolish it. 
Well, Max, I, agree. I believe in death by a thousand paper cuts, and I got a different perception of what they were saying because, see, you can't convince everybody with the same argument because some people really don't care until you can point out to them how it is impacting them. So many people, I, I would, not many people, but I suspect that perhaps some abolitionists saw how well before they were abolitionists they saw how they couldn't get a job because of hey there are no jobs all the enslaved people are doing all the jobs and i can't find a job and and so now this really affects me so i'm against slavery you know so i i saw that as you know a, a, a just another argument that they were making to appeal to whoever doesn't get it that this is really a human rights issue um, and but if you think if you don't you're not concerned about that and you don't think it's impacting you, well, guess what? They're taking your tax dollars and your tax dollars are also uh, uh, being used to undermine your economic future. Because, I mean, where what's the future of jobs in this country if they keep giving them more and more of these jobs and moving more and more of the manufacturing, processing, food processing customer service to the prison plantation so that so i i mean i i understand where you're coming from but i i, I try to look at all arguments and because some people Work. man you have to like have to do mental gymnastics just to find <laughs> you know push that button to get them to care well this uh saturday johanna myself and tribal rain will be doing some serious mental gymnastics you know, that's that's the plan. Come in there and get them to put their mindset uh, on slavery abolition and off of prison reform and off of criminal justice reform. Because you can't reform this. You've oh, got to oh. oh, I'm sorry, but, Max. Speaking of which, and I mentioned this earlier on, on um, Tanya Free and Friends Radio, I don't know if, I'm sure probably both of you are aware but I want to go ahead and mention it to the people that's not aware. Now, we did hear about all of these reform packages that was not going to abolish slavery, but it was just going to cut down the time that a person could be enslaved for a nonviolent drug crime. Again, it's not about abolition. It's about reform. Now, I, you know, with the danger, there is some danger in the reform but as I was talking to uh, LaRon Barton from California, uh, activist and author about California's Prop 57, which is on the ballot, and that voters will decide if they vote yes for Prop 57, it would uh, give prisoners an ability to get time off of their sentences for completing certain tasks like getting degrees and, and things of that nature is estimated to impact only about I think 10 to 20,000 uh, victims of slavery that it might apply to so I mean I support that because it'll bring some relief to those 10 or 20,000 uh, victims of slavery but at the end of the day I got to keep pushing for abolition but getting back to the reform bill that was getting a whole lot of praise and a whole lot of press well it recently died in the senate now we was told this had bipartisan support even the Koch brothers was behind it and what have you it, it uh mitch mcconnell who comes who um 
his wife's family got busted in Colombia. One of their ships, I should say, loaded down with cocaine and, and what have you. But Mitch McConnell, that Mitch McConnell, the uh, Kentucky senator, I believe he is, he wouldn't even bring it to, he wouldn't even allow it to come to a vote. And so I didn't hear President Obama, CEO Obama, take to the bully pulpit and say, this is a travesty. All of these people all all this time have been working on this reform package, has bipartisan support. Most of Americans in polls support this and say we need this. And I haven't heard a word from him. All I've heard from him, I will consider it a personal insult and a stain on my legacy if we don't elect Hillary Clinton. So, <laughs> so you know, man, man, so... um. I believe in death by a thousand paper cuts, but I am under no illusion of what we are up against. Lying, a lying politician um, is the one who could have ended this, but he wanted to keep his word to his Southern buddies, and Lincoln put the exception clause just for his buddies in the South because he told them before the Civil War, please tell them that I'm not about to free no slaves. And even with the Emancipation Proclamation, uh, which I think the anniversary of that's coming up. Frederick Douglass called it a stupendous fraud because uh, uh, Kentucky that in other states and counties that were not in rebellion. So, you know, he didn't free the slaves. So uh, he, uh, he was a man of his word to the people in the South. He was a liar and a manipulator of the abolitionists that put him in position to get that to become CEO of USA Inc. And he lied to every soldier that put their lives on the line and indeed lost their lives to end slavery. So we got a lot of work to do. Barack Obama is uh, ashamed of himself, really. You know, I've heard him explain how Lincoln betrayed all black people. I've heard him explain the Emancipation Proclamation and how it did not abolish slavery and how it was mainly about uh, keeping the union together is what he told those students and then he went further to say he ain't the president of black America he's the president of all America Oh, now suddenly he's the president of black America and he wants black America to vote for Hillary Clinton the mother of mass incarceration but I was just about to say I was just about to say oh he he was running away from that black label until he needed something from black folks now he's the now he now he telling black folks to the uh uh congressional reps who don't represent them they say they do but they don't um telling them you know I would consider the post personal insult and you know to my legacy and tell black folks to vote for Hillary man I'm going to uh put the video of Barack Obama explaining the Emancipation Proclamation uh, right now on New Abolitionist Radio. You can hear from him yourself. You don't have to believe me. His own words, he tells what's going on right there on New Abolitionist Radio right now. So you can, you can listen to him. He knows what's going on. And I challenge anybody, anybody, to find one instance where he mentioned private prisons throughout his whole campaign. He had never had anything to say about it until just recently. Well, I would challenge anybody to just show me in the past two weeks where he mentioned the ongoing prison, national prison strikes. Again, exactly. perfect opportunity when that reform package did not pass. 
he could have used that and said, "Now we got we got people uh, uh, in rebellion on these pri- in these prisons, and this is just we can't move forward like this. America can't move forward like this. I urge you to go back to your jobs, senators, and pass this package so that I can sign it into law. Look at all the prison uh, uh, rebellions going on across the country. What are you doing?" And, but he didn't. He we ain't heard a peep from him. Not a peep from him, and he's known all along. He's really good at doing very little and making it look like a lot. It's always been about image with this man. I mean, this is what we expected from him from the very beginning to to be on point about these issues because it wasn't just a black issue; it's a human rights issue. When you're talking about 24 million people going through cages every year under monitoring by the government, that is a human rights issue. There's no doubt it uh, affects people of color vastly more than it affects anyone else. But this still affects the entire nation, just as the Young Turks was explaining just a little while ago. You got, uh, what is it, 50%, uh, almost 50, 60% of the population in prison is black right now. They're in there doing jobs that you white folks could be doing on the outside, (laughs) you know? They're flipping burgers on the inside. They're making uniforms on the inside. They're working call centers and Whole Foods and even making underwear for women for Victoria's Secret here in South Carolina where they was making right here. At one point, they even had prisoners whose sole job was to take made in Taiwan tags off of clothing and put made in America on the clothing. <laughs> that was their sole job. So the tags were made in America. Man, it's just, I don't know. Johanna, chime in on this, brother. Man, I mean, I'm just listening to everything y'all saying. And I mean, of course, you, you know, you speaking nothing but the truth. There's no place to hide in this argument. People know what's going on. I feel like the politicians know clear, plain, and well what's going on. We know that <clears throat> we know that they're invested in private prisons through various funds that they're a part of. So they know where the money is going. They know what they're invested in. They know what they want to see continue to go on to generate free money for them. I mean, this is like alchemy, man. You take something that is nothing and you get something out of it. When you take a person and you can make them work for you for free, and you don't have to pay them anything. I mean, that's free money. So all of these people know what's going on, and all of this policy discussion, all of these this legislation that they've been able to enact to protect themselves through lobbying and through having a revolving door policy from the private industry back into government offices like the Bureau of Prisons, Department of Justice, and various parts of legislation in Congress and so forth on state levels and so forth. They, these people know what's going on. So at this point, you know, like Scotty said, death by a thousand cuts. Uh, as we see right now, the country going back into another another rebellion stage. I mean, we've seen around the world various places where they, you know, what they call it the uh, uh, when Egypt had the revolt. They called it something. Was it was it the uh, Muslim Spring or something? They was calling it where the youth was rising up and rebelling. Basically, uh, you know, really exactly like what we see over here with the youth primarily the Arab Spring Spring, yeah and you see in these other countries when these things happen they welcome seeing these changes they welcome seeing these people you know get rid of the the uh, the the despots and the the dictators and the the regimes that that America has vilified and said is so 
horrible and these people have a right to freedom and democracy and all of this crap they talk. So when we see it going on here, look, you cannot continue to deny city after city after city full of thousands of people who have never met each other and have never conspired in any kind of way to do these things. You can't continue to deny that all these people are just off their rockers. These people know that they are not free. These people know that they are being persecuted and terrorized. These people have a, have a right to do what they do and to, hey, give us our freedoms. So, I mean, it, it is what it is, man. The country going to keep doing it because you got enough people in denial about it, acting like they don't know what's going on, pretending like they can't understand it, and really they got a stake in the whole thing continuing like it's going. But that day is coming to an end. You know, I want to make a point as well. I understand that not only is the general populace now becoming uh, up in arms about the prison slave labor, but also the prison prisoners themselves are now getting to the point where they're like, really, I have been nothing more than a slave. I'm working in these factories that are built inside prisons, and I'm doing all these things for free in prisons where I should be getting paid for them at least minimum wage or, you know, have a job on the outside. But I want to point out the fact that they don't need to work for them to be making money on their bodies. I've said it here dozens of times. If a policeman in New York State snatches up a 16-year-old boy by the arm and says, you are under arrest, that boy is immediately worth $363,000 to a private prison industry. Immediately. That's his value now to their profit margin. He's not even a person anymore. He's a product worth 363000 Here in South Carolina, if they grab that same teenager, he's worth $161,000. And it's all across the country like that. That's for the children. That's a bounty on their heads. You don't need to put them to work. All you got to do is stick them in a cell, and you've got $350,000 a year coming in from the taxpayer. The word part is icing on the cake. That's just so much, just a little bit more that they can make. And not only does it end with this, uh, it doesn't end with the working, they're exploiting the families. I've told my own story here, how I had to go to, to New Jersey to visit my son who is in prison for life. And the last time I went there, they told me, you can't come here no more and visit him from South Carolina like you normally used to do. You have to use our video conferencing services for $15 for 10 minutes to talk to your son. And we'll sell his image back to you as often as you like it, which I refuse to participate in. This is all exploitation and slavery. So you're getting up in arms about the prison labor part, and that's acceptable. That's okay. If that's what breaks the ice for you, that's fine. You can keep digging and find all the more. But it doesn't end or begin with the prison labor part by no means at all. Just putting your ass into a jail cell or into a prison is making somebody money. Well... We're coming up on a 9 o'clock mark here. We're going to take another station identification break. And when we come back, we're going to share a few stories of the extrajudicial killings that are going on. You're listening to New Abolitionist Radio. We'll be right back after these messages.
Black Talk Radio since 2008, providing new black media for the masses. Peace and welcome back to New Abolitionist Radio. I want to get into some of these stories of the extrajudicial killings by police that are going on against unarmed citizens across the United States right now. That these are happening within days of each other. Uh, one, right here in our neighboring Charlotte, North Carolina, where they are rioting right now over the death of a young man there. Uh, well, not relatively young, but let me read this story, which comes from The Root, and it says that uh, a disabled black man was di- has died at the hospital after being shot by a Charlotte Mecklenburg, North Carolina police officer Tuesday afternoon, yesterday, on Old Concord Road in University City, a subdivision of Charlotte. Police said that they were searching for someone who had outstanding warrants when they saw a man with what they believed to be a gun leave a vehicle. Now, first of all, you're searching for people with outstanding warrants. That that's that's always seems to be the go-to excuse, ain't it? That's how you got Corinne Gaines, ain't it? She had an outstanding warrant. That's you how notice you get the I never hear person. what the warrants are for, not just Corinne Gaines, but this case, as well as other cases where they say that they had warrants or what what was the warrant for a missed court appearance what 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 did you, what are you you know uh uh going busting into people homes for or hunting people down where they like for example the young man in shelby who killed um one of them shelby slave catchers i don't know if you heard about that max in the saint that was um they had like um a big thing in gaston county um his funeral and memorial services at one of the um, minor league baseball stadiums that's in Gastonia. Uh, but yeah, uh, the Shelby Police Department, the same one that, that took Dylan Roof to Burger King, yeah, that police department. But they mm-hmm. were saying that this cop was serving warrants. And it was like almost midnight. What kind of warrants was you serving? at midnight and from what I heard you know the cop jumped out the woods on the on the young man a struggle ensued um the uh sister said that he was shot and I so I I don't know but again I never hear what were the warrants for and, and nine times out of ten they're either for missed court appearances or or non-violent drug related charges right or even littering tickets like Corinne Gaines petty littering tickets and they will send a strike team to your house, kill you in front of your five-year-old child after invading your house uh, unconstitutionally and then shoot your five-year-old child too and walk away with nothing. They're like, nobody's charged with anything in that case. But here we have now, and as I said in Charlotte, where they shot a man who was reading a book. The victim was not the subject of the initial search says Charlotte McElberg Police Chief Tara Putney. The police officer who pulled the trigger has not been named and police have said per protocol that the officer will be placed on administrative leave. There we go. You got your time off with pay for killing a black man. The victim's daughter, identified on Facebook as a lyric, your adorable Scott, found out that her father was dead through the news while recording from the scene of the shooting. The victim's brother said he was holding a book, not a gun, and was just waiting on his son to be dropped off after school. 
And that was enough to get him killed right there. And right now, Charlotte is burning. Well, they're talking about, they're claiming that they found the gun. But I will submit to you, so what if he had a gun? Nobody has said that he threatened anyone with the gun. They're, they're, all they said was, well, the daughter said that they gave a warning because that's what they claim, and they warned him, and, and like they gave him several times. She said that he got out the car. They was like, gun, pow, 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 shot him four times. One slave catcher did all of this, and I would point out that he is a proxy. This ain't a white cop. This a black cop. And again, this is why I have been stressing that when it comes to this system and the issues of justice versus injustice, there are no color lines, all right? There are no color lines. There is that line between for slavery or against slavery, that line for justice and injustice. And, and so I would submit, even if it turns out if he had a gun, so what? It ain't illegal to have guns here in North Carolina. I got several of them myself. So, so I mean, even if we accept that narrative, because that's what it seems to to be like, even with Mr. Crutcher out there in Tulsa. Oh, we found PCP in the car, and she thought he was on drugs, and she was never been scared, so scared in her life. So is that how they're trained to deal with people on drugs? If he was on drugs, I saw a person who was compliant with their hands up. But again, new excuses, new excuses. So now it's okay. Uh, I thought he was on drugs. That's the new excuse where they get to give you a death sentence out there on the street, like they're Judge Dredd. I don't know if people have seen that movie or read the comic books where the police are vested with the power of Judge Jury and extra, extra, uh, Executioner right there on the spot. Because that's what it seems like is going on to me. These ghost skins are off the chain, but these proxies, you got to watch out for them too. You know, when they talk about how somebody had a gun, I don't believe a word that comes out of their mouth. Because the other story is out of St. Louis from 2011, where the cop is caught by a citizen recording it, planting the guns on this dead man's body that he just killed. And uh, this comes from Sean King. It says, very important, a St. Louis police officer was caught on film getting a gun out of a duffel bag from his own car and planting it on a black man he had just shot and killed. He then claimed that the man had pointed the gun at him, except when they tested the gun, it only had the DNA and fingerprints on it from the officer. Also on the footage, minutes before the officer shot and killed Anthony Smith, can be heard telling his partner, I'm going to kill this motherfucker. You can be heard saying it. And then he did it. And then he went and got a gun from his own car and planted it on this dead man's body and called in his fellows around him and said, look, he tried to shoot me. So I don't believe a word they say about somebody having a gun. That story can be found also on New Abolitionist Radio. 
uh, new information coming to light from that one right there. Well, Max, let me just interject real quick again for those who say, y'all sound like conspiracy theorists and all this, not to mention the long history of this. People have always known cops carry throwaways and what have you. But no, we just we 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 just read the news. Uh, was that Alabama, Max, where you had that one narcotics un, un, unit that had planted drugs and guns on thousands of, of young black men? For 30 men? years. I'm sorry? They, they've been doing it for 30 years in Alabama. Yeah, so we're just reporting the news. We're telling you what's going on, all right? It, 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 so I don't trust anything that they say. Same thing again with Mr. Crutcher. They were saying that he was some dangerous dude and who posed a threat before the video came out. Now the video come out and shows something different. The killing of Kamenji, uh, uh, how do you pronounce his name? Mr. Powell that was killed in, in um, St. Louis County. Uh, Kutcher? No, Kajimi. Kajimi Powell. That member oh, that, yeah, yeah. yeah, they lied. They said that he had the knife raised above his head and he was coming at the officer. Then we see the video, we see something entirely different. So so Max is just doing what any logical person would, would do when we question anything that these slave catchers put out through their propaganda officers. Yeah, and this is something too, riding on the heels of uh, regular listen, listeners to the program probably remember when we were talking about cops. Um, I think it was Detroit area that uh, were having to, actually having a parade and celebrating themselves, giving themselves awards and pats on the back. And there was an entire narcotics team that uh, was indicted. And they're talking about hundreds of arrests that were, you know, Florida. part of them. Yeah, there were uh, that were uh, planting evidence and whatnot. Atlanta, Georgia, uh, just last year. Uh, Atlanta Sheriff's Department uh, at the center of investigation in the narcotics unit, talking about how they were planting drugs and guns on people. Virginia, this is uh, this is all ongoing. I mean, these are not like I'm reaching back into the 80s or something to find some one-off situation. This is all ongoing, 2013, 14, 15, 16, all around the country this is going on. Um, in Virginia, uh, the same kind of thing, where cops planting. I mean, these are, are known incidents um unionville uh let's see there's a, then a, another one where uh florida i remember we talked about this on the program on the palm beach county florida uh sheriff's department were on their uh, website where they got anonymity so they can go on there and talk in the chat room and not have to admit who they are say their own names and they just tell the truth about the situation and the uh the post that, that was on there saying uh tricks of the trade less exchange asking people to come in and make comments about you know what is some of the dirty stuff you do and uh, one of those uh one of those comments this is a quote off the website i have a method for getting people off the street that should not be there so say, so they looking at people they saying that they don't think should be on the street mouthy drivers street lawyers assholes and just anyone else trying to make my job difficult these are all people that don't need to be on the street according to these cops under my floor mat, I keep a small plastic dime bag with cocaine and residue. Since it's just residue, if it's ever found during a search of my car, like during an inspection or something, it's easy enough to explain it. It must have stuck to my foot while walking through while walking through a scene. Anyway, no one's going to question my empty baggie, but the residue is key because you can fully charge some asshole with possession of cocaine, heroin, or whatever with just the residue. 
How do I get it done? I asked Mr. John Doe for his identification, pulled out his wallet, I observed a small plastic baggie fall out of his pocket, blah, blah, blah. You get the idea, right? Best part is those baggies can be found lots of places, so you can always be ready. Don't forget to wipe the baggie on the person's skin after you arrest them because you want their DNA on the bag if they say you planted it or if they try to fight it in court. So this is cops telling you what they do, man. We're playing. This ain't no conspiracy theory of us. This is a conspiracy of the slave catchers to continue to terrorize and enslave, kidnap, imprison, rape, extort, exploit, just straight up mess up the lives and, co and commit genocide against people that they don't think deserve to live. We don't trust them, and we have no reason to trust them. To quote James Baldwin, I can't believe what you say because I see what you do. It's really just that simple. We can see these things with our own eyes, day in and day out. A new abolitionist radio right now just posted uh, a link with an audio recording of police recording uh, a recording speaking over another man's phone that they thought was off and broke, where they were fabricating how they were going to arrest this guy and making things up. I mean, it wasn't one cop. It was three of them, including the supervisor, sitting there talking about how they can frame this man who was standing there all alone with a sign on September 11th as a protester on the highway. And they just wanted to be able to frame him and send him to jail. So they're discussing it. And you got to imagine how often does these conversations go on amongst police where they're sitting there talking about how you're going to frame somebody. So, you know, we can't believe what you say. We see what you do. We know what you're about. You are slave catchers. It's what you do. When you collect these warrants every day, you don't even know what the hell they're about. You're just serving them. So you end up in some woman's house, and you murder her in front of a child, and they shoot her child, and then you go, oh, was that a littering ticket? Oh, man. And you move on with your life. But their life is ended. It's over. And, you know, bleeding out on the ground is the wrong time to go. You know those abolitionists are right. You should be figuring this shit out before you get killed, before your wife gets killed, before your son gets killed, or your husband, or your brother, or somebody else. Because, you know, when, when people die in your family, suddenly you become the expert, and everybody's quoting you. But that's the wrong time to wake up. Wake up before the life is lost. The change is needed right now. And the change is to go from reform to abolition. We need to abolish these systems. Make no mistake, me personally, I'm not about ending all prisons. I know that there are people who deserve to be in prison, but I would estimate somewhere around 70% of the prison population should be out the doors tomorrow. Hey, and we can't forget the story about uh, Deputy DA uh, Bartha out there in New Mexico a couple of years ago. They caught the brother on the trains and sat up there and got caught on tape telling the cop, well, why'd you let him go? Next time, just shoot him, kill him. Then you can put something on him and say, oh, I thought he was reaching for a gun, poor son of a bitch. This is on, the, this is on tape. That brother in St. Louis that was on the news at least picked up his story, and he had the, had the cops on tape telling him, this is what you need to do. You need to go kill so-and-so, or we're going to kill you. If you don't kill him, we'll kill him and put the gun in your pocket. This is all on tape. This is not speculation. This ain't conspiracy theory. These are active, either elected officials in the case of the DA, 
or paid service of the, of the law to protect and serve the citizens called on saying what they will do, conspiring to either right. kill or imprison or illegally kidnap and enslave innocent citizens. And we know the fish stinks from the head down because we report right here on governors and mayors who use the rhetoric of slave catchers and genocidal maniacs like the uh, governor of Maine who recently was talking about how uh, it's all black people's fault that they have a drug problem there in Maine. I mean, Maine is, what, 98% white, but it's all black people's fault. And he's got this big binder filled with just black people who bring in the drugs. And remember at one point he even said that they're going to have sex with your little white daughters, and that in itself is another issue we're going to have to deal with later on. These are people who are running the police departments. They're overseeing them. We're talking about mayors and governors. We're not talking about the individual policemen. We're talking about the people who run the police departments. And, you know, we have another report just came in from last Wednesday where a 13-year-old boy was shot, and the police alleged that he pointed a realistic-looking BB gun at them. But the family had an autopsy done on their, their son. Come to find out the boy was shot three times in the back. In the back. How are you going to pull a gun, a fake gun, as a 13-year-old boy on police, and they shoot you, but all the bullet wounds are in your back? Hey, man, this is another one. This is another one out of Ohio. So, you, you know, in the, in the history of, recent history of John Crawford, killed in Walmart with a toy gun in an open carry state where, they, where people post on social media and in cities all around Ohio themselves walking through Targets and Walmarts and Applebee's on carry a gun day and in the Starbucks with the assault rifles around their necks. So this is John Crawford getting killed by police in an open carry state. This is Tamir Rice getting gunned down by police in an open carry state. So here we've got another young brother gunned down in an open carry state. Not even just, man. A child, 13 years old, another child killed by police over a toy gun and they had the nerve to say that they shot him because they feared for their lives because he pulled a gun on them and it was a BB gun but they didn't know that so they shot him but all the bullet wounds went in his back that only means one thing that boy was running and you shot him dead while he was running so we don't believe what you say we see what you do well Scotty I know you got a couple stories you wanted to get in on on the new abolitionist planning page um, you want to go to one of those now? Yes, sir. If you give me just a moment uh, so I could get to a couple of the stories that I had um, wanted to share with our listeners today. Um, Colin Kaepernick is, is not uh, backing down. Uh, that is a story that I shared Um I, the reason I brought that one up is because he was just in Charlotte on Sunday and he did his protest on Sunday. And one of the things that I observed, because I don't go to sporting events, but I do like football. I'm not going to lie about that. And I watch the Panthers on, on television. But one of the things my eye picked up while watching that Panthers um, San Francisco game on television was that they were showing a banner you know, it was like a di one of those digital banners 
and it said we support our troops. Now I didn't see the game from the beginning because I was actually back and forth and working and and what have you. So I didn't see Colin Kaepernick or know if they showed it or not. But I know he did it, and none of the Panthers had kneeled and what have you. And um, you even had the coach Ron Rivera go back on some things he said when Muhammad Ali died because remember when Muhammad Ali recently died he was a hero to everyone he did the right thing he he brought all these social issues to the forefront using his platform as an athlete but then changed his tune and when was asked a question about Colin Kaepernick ahead of Sunday's game all of a sudden oh sports and politics don't mix well, then, I don't think Mr. Rivera is calling for an end to the military pageantry that goes on before these games, which only became part of these games because the Pentagon uh, wanted to pay some people to promote all this stuff to use it as a military recruitment tool for cannon fodder and what have you. So I thought that was pretty interesting and uh, Cam Newton, a, a young man who I had admired for his work in the community. I I shouldn't say had admired. I still admire him. And I felt like he was getting some undue pressure from his father, who I, who, um, who I have heard him try to say one of those, like he sound like one of those all lives matter people or whatnot, you know. And so, but today, Cam Newton gave a press conference and he straightened up and he proclaimed his blackness. <laughs> he was like, I am a black man. And he just recently had a son and he talked about not, you know, thinking about this could be my son and, and the father not making it home, you know. So I was glad to see that turnaround uh, from Cam Newton and Colin Kaepernick. I'm calling it the Kaepernick effect. It is having its intended purpose in, in the protest against the racist national anthem written by a slaver celebrating the murder of slaves. Uh, you know, people are taking notice now. Um, the other story I wanted to share was about the national prison strikes. I got a video from RT.com that I would like to share, but where uh, the title says in prison slavery see again it's good to hear that now we got Russia today using the right language in prison slavery 24,000 plus inmates join nationwide jail strikes so let me see if I can uh, cue up this video Uh, give me just a second as this page continues to, to load up but again this is just more evidence that more and more people are waking up. So the the title of this video is Nationwide Prison Strike Enters Second Week. And um, that should be playing shortly. At Clown and Groove Forward at Hickory, zero is the hero. As in zero cash down, zero. We begin today with a show of solidarity from behind bars. A nationwide prison strike now in its second week. Thousands of prisoners protesting work conditions in these prisons where they're paid little or nothing for their labor. It's a story that has escaped most media attention despite being the largest coordinated prison strike in U.S. history. Here at RT America, we've covered it from day one. We have team coverage on this from coast to coast today. We'll start with RT correspondent Ashley Banks in our Washington, D.C. newsroom with more on the strike and what the prisoners want. Ashley. 
Hey, Simone, we are witnessing the largest prison strike in U.S. history. The strike began on September 9th when inmates refused to report to their prison jobs. The strike also started on the anniversary of the 1971 Attica Uprising, which took place about 45 years ago when nearly 1,300 men held at Attica State Correctional Facility decided to protest. They demanded several things, including an end to slave labor, an end to police brutality, and fair visitation rights. Now, the protest went on for four days and on the fourth day law enforcement raided the facility killing 39 men including inmates and guards now another 128 men were also injured shortly after the shooting the prisoners who survived the attack were then tortured so organizers felt like this day would be perfect for the first day of the protest organizers wrote an announcement that circulated inside and outside prisons nation uh, nationwide it read this 45 years after Attica, the waves of change are returning to America's prisons. This September, we hope to coordinate and generalize these protests to build them into a single title shift that the American prison system cannot ignore or withstand. We hope to end prison slavery by making it impossible by refusing to be slaves any longer. Now, these strikers are demanding an end to free prison labor. Many of them are calling it slavery. But there are a few issues facing, facing this nationwide protest. For one, organizers are reporting difficulties with knowing which prisons are actively striking, as some corrections departments are allegedly denying reports of strike-related activity. But it is estimated that more than 40 facilities in at least 24 states are participating. Some of those states include North Carolina, South Carolina, Florida, Michigan, Washington State, Nebraska, California, Alabama, and Georgia. Simone, another downside to this prison strike is that it's not gaining any mainstream media attention, which is what these inmates need in order to make a difference as inmates depend on the support of outsiders to push for more radical reform. It is also important to note that these prisoners were able to protest on such a large scale given their limitations. It's just testimony to their determination to ignite prison reform. but. If they're not getting the attention, the attention they need, Simone, unfortunately, nothing will be done. And Ashley, you said it's hard to know exactly how many prisoners are on strike, where they are on strike. California is no exception. Let's go to RT's Brigida Santos now in Los Angeles. And Brigida, we know that there are at least two prisons in Central California that are striking, right? That's correct. 150 inmates between two local jails are uh, protesting right now. They are on a hunger strike. Now, this includes inmates at the John Lataraca Correctional Facility in Merced and also the Merced County Sheriff's Jail. Now, the prisoners there are calling for reforms. They want better conditions inside of the jail. They're calling for one lieutenant who has been particularly abusive to be ousted. And they're also calling to put an end to solitary confinement. Now, I spoke with Victoria Castillo from Live Free Merced, who has been organizing these strikes. Take a listen to what she told me. Initially with the strike, they refused all consumption of food and all movements. So they have boycotted court, um, their yard time, their visitations, and all medical movements until something is, something changed. Um, and we've had multiple issues with um, inmates not being uh, properly uh, triaged or being triaged and cleared from prison 
and then having to have extensive surgeries for cancer or other underlying medical conditions that were potentially life-threatening, um, as well as improper like mental health evaluations. Uh, at the John Mataraka Jail Facility, we have inmate suicides every 60 to 90 days. So those are the two prisons that we have confirmed are on strike. There are also conflicting reports coming out of the largest women's prison in California, and that's the Central California Women's Facility, saying that prisoners there are also protesting. However, we have not confirmed that 100% because they are conflicting reports. And as Ashley mentioned there, it is incredibly hard to escalate this to the authorities who have any power to change it. However, Castillo did say that she met with Governor Jerry Brown last week and that she is looking forward to continuing the conversation with him, hoping that on a local level in Merced, it will escalate some changes on a state level in California. Simone. And you're All right, I'm going to stop it there. There is actually about six more minutes in this video, which I'm going to share to our abolitionists. I already have it up there for you, Scotty. Okay, okay. And, it, and for those in btrcommunity.com, just look at, you can see all the stories, even the ones that don't make the program in our discussion for our program notes for tonight. That's btrcommunity.com. But it was good to hear, that's the first report I, he I heard that possibly the women have gotten involved because they are women, particularly black women, are the fastest growing demographic of that's being enslaved today. So, so you know, it, it's very important that they get involved and we acknowledge them as well, which we have always done here on Abolitionist Radio. We've told you about the facility in Michigan where women were hog-tied, butt-naked, and left on the floor without water for days and what have you. So it's good to hear that, that at least one women's prison uh, may be a part of these strikes. But this is just more evidence of what I have said for years. Again, people accuse me of being a conspiracy theorist, but the very fact that you're not seeing these reports, again, this is the second week. So the very fact that you're not seeing these reports on, let's say, ABC News Tonight with David Muir or on MSNBC Nightly News or on MSNBC with Joy Reid giving you, you know, reports and, and what have you, the very fact that you're not seeing that, just proves my point that there is when when I say that this is corporate state media, corporate state media. This is cooperation with the mainstream media to hide information to keep these events from the American public. But in in, in terms of the officials not knowing about it, as was stated in that clip, because it isn't getting mainstream. Oh, don't don't. Don't don't think that. By all means, they know about it. I'm sure the governor was called. I'm sure Barack Obama knows because I've been tweeting at him about the prison strikes. Okay, so these people know that, but they're trying to keep it under wraps as much as possible because they don't want the world to know that slavery is still being practiced right here in uh, the good old USA where it has so much freedom and liberty and justice. So, um, again, they're just proving my point that this is why it is very important for not only black people but all people to turn from corporate media, 
Um, but I mean, I'm not telling you not to watch it because you can glean information from them, but take it with a grain of salt. Take it with a grain of salt. Realize that they have an agenda. What's their agenda? Whatever the U.S. government or state government wants that agenda to be. If they give them a call and say, hey, don't cover these pri- nationwide prison strikes, then they're going to say yes. They, they're not going to cover it. So, I mean, I don't see any other explanation of why we're not seeing coverage. There's on- got to be a memo that's going out because, like, here in South Carolina, there are prisons on lockdown right now who are participating. But the Columbia News media is not mentioning this at all. So if you're in the news media and you have access to this memo that's saying, don't talk about these prison strikes across America, please, that's evidence. We need that. Snatch that up. Make a copy of it as quick as possible, because I'm sure there wasn't a phone call going out to each and every uh, producer of news programs. There had to be some memo went out and said, this is on the do not speak about list. We want to see that memo. So if you got access to it, please share it with us. Share it with somebody, but get a hold of it before it disappears. You know, this is just a coordinated thing that we're seeing. If you're not talking about it, I'm sure that many of these newscasters know what's going on, like those here in South Carolina right now. And if they're not saying something, it's because somebody told them not to say something. Well, I tweeted at the National Association for Black Journalists. I asked them why isn't their alumni reporting on this? I tweeted directly to Joy Reid and asked her to cover it or to tweet something about it. Um, what's the other woman name who I had interaction with her um, with Tim Wise where she was trying to take Tim Wise's side when he slandered me in, in our network. Uh, uh, O'Brien, what's her first name? Uh, yeah, I know who you're talking about the one that did the Black in America series. Yeah, yeah. Soledad O'Brien. So, Soledad O'Brien. Yeah, I tweeted at her, used the hashtag prison strikes. And, you know, I have called out some people. Uh, and I think you mentioned earlier that we were going to call out some people. So I guess that's a good yeah. segue. We're going to skip our last break. Um, but except to tell you you are listening to new abolitionist radio on black talk radio network broadcasting every wednesday night at eight o'clock p.m eastern time but um yeah so i have called out the national association of black journalists uh individual black journalists i um um on several broadcasts called out some names of people who are not in corporate media but have a huge following on social media that aren't saying a word so um, again, this—I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I just make observations and I present the facts. And the fact is, is that it can't be a coincidence that all of these different uh, outlets and these thousands of journalists are not covering it. Right, right. And and you know, speaking of calling out people, where is the National Black Caucus on this? You know, they—they they got uh, so much to say about things. Where are they right now on this issue? Because we ain't heard a peep from them. Not a single one of them. Have you heard anything? If any of our no. listeners have heard anything from the National Black Caucus, please call in and tell us what you heard. Because we ain't heard a word from them. As if this does not affect the people around them at all. And uh, what they doing is too. I, I can tell you what the what the, the Black Caucus is doing. They sitting up 
licking Obama's dirty drawers for coming in his standard standard issue Southern Baptist preacher country draw fire and brimstone uh, talking trash to them. They all loving on Obama right now. They not paying attention to what's going on in the in the plantations and in the, in the trenches right now. Obama was was uh, addressing them, telling them, "You better vote for me uh, for Clinton so you can continue my legacy." Black folks got a got a big old emotional charge out of that out of Obama talking black sounding like a black preacher and what you better do is you better make sure you you preserve our legacy and we we get in prison reform and we get more jobs and we doing more for education and blah 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 meanwhile the, the uh, wealth gap is the largest it's been in the last 40 years between blacks and whites black unemployment is around 25 percent minimum Overall, probably over fifty percent for people under a certain in a certain age group, like the youth. So you know, we see in prisons everybody he didn't let out is somebody that was already about to get out anyway. While he taking a spotlight saying how he's been reforming and letting people out, these people was already scheduled to be released. So that's what the black caucus is doing: is sitting up there taking marching orders and, and knee slapping and, and taking photo ops and waiting on them buses from Obama. Right, and also, where's the NAACP? Have you heard anything from them? I mean, even our sister, who's the abolitionist attorney and the president of the NAACP out in Minneapolis, I haven't heard anything from her. I want to hear from her, uh, you know. I also want to hear from the SPLC. I want to hear from the ACLU. Where are you? Right, right. No, I haven't heard anything from any of these groups. Uh, Black Agenda Report has, has put out some stories talking about it. I've seen that, but I haven't seen um, democracy. Um, democracy now. Black Agenda right. Report. Um, who has stop mass, incar- has stop mass incarceration network been up on it? I haven't seen much from them either. I haven't seen anything from them e- either. A uh, Real News Network, you know, with Jared Ball and and others. Um, you know, that, that's out of Baltimore. Yeah, Eddie Conway. They've been repu- producing reports. Oh. Obviously, Black Talk Radio. Cornell West about. ain't got nothing to say about this, I'm sure, because it ain't got nothing to do with Israel. If it had something to do with Israel, he probably had everything to say. But it ain't got nothing to do with Israel. It's about Again. black people in America, about slavery in America, and Cornell West is silent. Where is Cornell West on this issue? Yeah, so again, it just doesn't make sense with the largest coordinated prison slavery rebellion to ever happen on these shores for a whole lot of people to be silent. Just as an adding There's a quote, and I want to find it before the program is over, about silence from Martin Luther King and how it will uh, that will be the thing that we remember about our friends, their silence. Well, we are 20 minutes over from, from the end of our program, and we still got these two segments to go. I guess maybe we should move into them? Oh, uh, sure. All right. Well, as usual, there is one story that I skipped, and I do want you to check it out on New Abolitionist Radio, and it's the former Reynoldsburg police officer sentenced to prison. Uh, you just want to read what this man said as a defense for what he was doing, this police officer who was stealing drugs and stealing money and sending people to jail for nothing. And uh, several people have been released because of him. And him and another partner in the police force working together, one of them killed themselves in jail. See, you couldn't even take being in jail. You could do it to everybody else. But when it's done to you, you know, just jump up on a rope, don't you? Anyway, check that story out on New Abolitionist Radio. Our 
rider of the 21st century, Underground Railroad this week is going to be Jerome Morgan. On January 17, 2014, Jerome Morgan's murder conviction was overturned. Two weeks later, he walked out of prison after spending 20 years incarcerated for a crime he did not commit. However, he remained accused of that crime and lived in a state of pretrial limbo with restrictions on his freedom until May 27, 2016. We just heard this story uh, very similar from Brother Moses Sunday just recently. He was going through the same circumstances. Anyway, to go on with the story, uh, until May 27, 2016, when the state finally dismissed the charges and he was fully exonerated. In 1993, Jerome was wrongly arrested at age 17 and prosecuted for the murder of Clarence Landry III at a sweet 16 birthday party held in the ballroom of a New Orleans hotel. A fight broke out between two groups of boys at the party. Shots were fired and three teens were hit. Two survived, but 16-year-old Clarence Landry died on the scene. By all accounts, the gunman fled the ballroom immediately after the shooting and was chased down the street to an alley where he jumped over a fence. When the police arrived, they sealed the room, and the detectives took down the names of everyone in the room, including Jerome, whose name was listed by the detectives in their report. Jerome was prosecuted based upon the identification testimony of two teenage witnesses one of whom had previously told the police it was definitely not Jerome. Post-conviction investigation by Innocence Project New Orleans revealed that the prosecutors had their file, had in their file a complaint history that proved that it took police a mere six minutes to arrive after the shooting, not 30 to 45 minutes as the jury heard. This made the already questionable theory that the gunman, after successfully fleeing from the crime scene, returned to a room of over 80 witnesses even less likely. This simply was not enough time for the government gunman to flee, run down the street to an alley, jump over a fence, hide the murder weapon, and return to the scene of the crime unnoticed before the police arrived and sealed the room. The teenage witnesses also admitted in 2013 that the detectives had told them to name Jerome Morgan, one of the several people about whom rumors were circulated among high school students in the months after the shooting. Based on both the discovery of the complaint history and the recantation of the two teenage witnesses, Jerome was freed on bond February 4, 2014, and granted a new trial. For two years after his conviction was overturned, IPNO fought to clear Jerome's name, while the district attorney first fought the ruling overturning his conviction, and when success, unsuccessful, fought to re-prosecute Jerome in spite of the clear evidence of his innocence. Meanwhile, since his release in 2014, Jerome has worked full-time mentoring high school students at McDonough 35 and won a propeller grant to help his effort to set up a barbershop through which he mentors teens. On May 27, 2016, the Orleans Parish District Attorney dismissed the second-degree murder charges against Jerome, and he was finally exonerated. Welcome to Freedom, Brother Jerome Morgan. Welcome to Freedom. Salute. Salute. Again, with the dirty prosecutors just wanting to send people to freaking prison. It's they funny how it. none of these stories ever, ever end with the prosecutor being charged with a crime. One or two, it's been one or two that have happened, and in both the cases, as far as I know, the prosecutor may have been facing, you know, three or four years, end up getting a couple of weeks or some bullshit, or some mess. Ain't no, ain't no, ain't no real 
consequences. I don't even think they ever disbarred anybody for doing it. I don't know that anybody was in a position where they couldn't pick up uh, another, you know, professional position and continue to generate revenue for themselves. I don't think it was nothing but a hiccup in any of the cases that was involved. But we will be discussing this at length Saturday, the 24th, Southeast Community Center, the Missouri Cure State Conference. We uh, hold a, a, a workshop uh, from 11 a.m. Central Time uh, until 12 noon, and we'll take a lunch on uh, false incarceration, uh, covering our, uh, bad eyewitnesses, so eyewitness errors, uh, false or coerced confessions, uh, flawed forensic science, uh, inadequate legal defense, um, paid snitches, and then, like in this case, official misconduct. So we'll be covering all the different areas where these things uh, come to pass, how they come to pass, and giving some, you know, case studies and talking about what we can do to uh, turn this around. So if you will be able to travel to Kansas City or you're in the Kansas City area, definitely come through, and uh, we'd be glad to, uh, to to break this, chop this up, down, all that good stuff. Word, we'd love to see you there. If you're anywhere near the Missouri area, you need to be out there that day and add your energy to what's about to happen. I got a feeling, that, as I said, we're going to make some major impact there in Missouri that will spread out across the nation and hopefully across the world. So be there on Saturday, the 24th, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. Southeast Community Center, 63rd in Jackson, Kansas City. You can go to MissouriCure.org for more information. Oh, and I found the quote, and I just put it there on New Abolitionist Radio. In the end, we remember not the words of our enemies, but the silence of our friends. Martin Luther King, Jr., Lord knows I've had to endure that silence for quite some time now. I would, um, I would like to also announce another uh, event that is related that's going to be taking place tomorrow, and that is called Shot on Camera, documenting the police. Uh, the Media Justice Salon is behind this says join us for a discussion on tensions between cameras pointed at the police and those pointing at the public and its implications on free speech organizing and community safety feature presenters will be nicole cardi some of us representing some of us priscilla nary a witness uh harlan you up of upturn uh, it's going to be moderated by Aaron Amons, a, uh, let me see, CU Citizens for Peace and Justice, uh, Angela Belota, Center for Media Justice, and the Media Justice Salons are interactive webinars that are a benefit of Magnet membership. So um, you'll be able to find the information there. There's a link to the webinar as well. So that is again coming up uh, tomorrow. Word. Well, Scotty, you want to um, take us to our abolitionist and profile this week? And if you have a link for the audio recording, you can put it on the site. That would be great. A link for what? The abolitionist and profile? Yeah, I don't have a, um, I didn't turn it into a video yet. Uh, so I will post it later. Uh, two there, but this guy right here, I tell you, man, I I I just love these abolitionists and reading about them. Uh, but our abolitionists in profile, if I can pull it up, will be 
uh, one Lewis Hayden, Lewis Hayden, who was in the 1800s talking about by any means necessary. Well, he wasn't talking about it. He was about any means necessary. So very interesting story. I didn't want to um, just do a little two-minute clip. So this one is almost six minutes, but it's well worth the listen of this great man, Lewis Hayden, uh, who was born into slavery and um, would become one of the great abolitionists of his time in, in Boston, Mass. So this is the abolitionist in profile for Lewis Hayden. Lewis Hayden, stemming from his early experiences in slavery to his prominent leadership role in Boston's black community, Lewis Hayden dedicated his life to fighting for freedom, equality, and justice for all. At his funeral service in 1889, the minister eulogizing him said, The secret of the success in Lewis Hayden's life is that he lived for others. He was indeed a prince among us. Born in Lexington, Kentucky in 1811, Hayden experienced the horrors of slavery firsthand. He witnessed the brutal torture that disobedient enslaved Africans received from their enslavers. He saw his brothers and sisters sold away on the auction block. As he told Harriet Beecher Stowe in The Key to Uncle Tom's Cabin, his own mother, in one of her reoccurring fits of insanity, once tried to kill him so that he would not have to suffer in slavery. I'll fix you so they'll never get you, she screamed at him before being taken away by the jailers. While still enslaved, Hayden married and fathered two sons, one of whom died shortly after birth. His wife and remaining child belonged to a different enslaver than his own. They were enslaved by U.S. Representative Henry Clay, one of the future architects of the 1850 Fugitive Slave Law, which Hayden later fought so hard to undermine. Despite his pleas and efforts to stop the sale, Hayden watched as Clay sold his wife and child down the river to the slave traders, never to see them again. Looking back years later, Hayden wrote, I have one child who was buried in Kentucky, and that grave is pleasant to think of. I got another that is sold nobody knows where, and that I can never bear to think of. Hayden soon remarried Harriet Bell and treated her son Joseph as his own. Determined not to see his new family destroyed by slavery, Hayden chose to claim his freedom by escaping on the Underground Railroad. Assisted by Calvin Fairbank and Delia Webster, the Haydens made their way to the north. After going first to Canada, then Detroit, then to New Bedford, the Haydens finally chose to permanently reside in Boston. As a major center of the abolition movement and home to one of the most active free black communities in the country, Boston was the right place for Hayden to help lead in the struggle against slavery and assisting those who seek to escape it. Hayden quickly established himself as a prominent abolitionist and leader in Boston, considered a temple of refuge. His home on Beacon Hill served as a safe house for hundreds of freedom seekers making their way through the city. To war off slave catchers, Hayden armed himself to the teeth and stationed guards in his home. He allegedly threatened to ignite barrels of gunpowder stashed in his house if slave catchers dared to enter in search of William and Ellen Craft, the famous fugitive enslaved couple who escaped the South disguised as master and slave. 
He also led the successful rescue of Shadrach Minkins, a victim of slavery arrested in Boston who would have been sent back south had not Hayden and a mob of abolitionists stormed the courthouse and freed him from his captors. A strong proponent of direct militant action, Hayden did whatever it took to protect fugitive slaves in their quest for freedom. In addition to his work on the Underground Railroad, Hayden engaged himself in many other activities to promote freedom and justice for all. He helped lead the struggle to desegregate Boston's public school system. As an active Prince Hall Mason, he tirelessly fought for equality and to help others less fortunate than himself. He campaigned vigorously for women's rights and led the successful battle for a Christmas Atux Memorial on Boston Common. He raised weapons, men, and money for John Brown's raid on Harper's Ferry. After convincing his friend, Governor John Andrew, to establish a black regiment, he recruited for the 54th Massachusetts the first black fighting unit from the North during the Civil War. He also served as messenger to the Secretary of State for Massachusetts and was elected to the state legislature by citizens of Boston. Through undaunted dedication and leadership by example, Hayden rallied countless supporters in the struggle against slavery and oppression. His accomplishments are a testament to the power of active resistance in the quest for social justice and change. Today, his life continues to inspire new generations of activists and abolitionists dedicated to helping others secure their unalienable human rights and freedom from modern slavery. At the same time, his story also serves as a powerful reminder to us all that freedom is a constant struggle. New Abolitionist Radio salutes abolitionist Lewis Hayden. Salute. Brother Lewis Hayden. That's my teachers there, these brothers and sisters who fought that fight then. I'm learning so much from them on how to fight it now. That's why I say, man, I don't condemn any type of resistance. Um, and certainly abolitionists back then who believed in the nonviolent method of trying to you know, seek a resolution through the passage of laws and seeking the abolishment of slavery. And then there are those who would, by any means necessary, uh, seek to abolish the evil institution. As you heard, this man kept himself armed to the teeth. Uh, he had armed guards uh, protecting enslaved Africans, what have you. And again, they ran up in the courthouse. <laughs> and rescued this dude. You know, last week I thought well, we... The Anthony Burns thing, and Anthony Burns is one of the issues that really changed the whole complexion of slavery in America. Uh, that's when people started coming up in arms about it. Yeah, so, you know, he was uh, definitely a militant abolitionist, and ain't nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that at all. Well, we're coming to the end of our program here. We've got five minutes left. Just enough time for us to give our final comments for the evening. Uh, either one of you brothers want to start us out? Yeah, I'll, I'll start. Um, again, do what you can to spread the word about these ongoing national uh, prison slavery strikes, as we have shown you uh, here tonight, that is being ignored largely, ignored by the mainstream media, 
ignored by the CEO of USA Inc., Obama, ignored by all the congressional reps, ignored by the governors and what have you in terms of making any kind of statements to the public and telling the public what's going on. And so since we see that there is a organized effort to keep this information from the masses, then we have to... um, be that voice and be that tool to get this information out on behalf of those suffering from modern day slavery and human trafficking. Words. You honey? Hey, once again, this Saturday it's going down, so we're just going to keep the momentum going from there, Saturday the 24th, so of course people will hear this in the future too, but if you're listening now or you hear this podcast before the end, Come out, because this is where uh, we're going to have Max Parthas in town. So this is definitely an abolitionist summit by all means. This is not a reform conference. This is not a talk about how we can pussyfoot around and play around, and maybe if we could just maybe make them make a couple of changes, we'll pat ourselves on the back and all that other BS. This is the straight-up abolition. We're going to be giving you the, the keys, the tools, the lessons, the information, not just bitching and moaning but also telling you what you can do to make the changes that need to be made. And from here, we're just going to keep the momentum going. We've seen the momentum come like a wave right now. We're riding on that wave. We tore down them stocks from the private prison companies. We got not only the Bureau of Prisons to say they're not going to renew contracts, but we also got on the ICE and DHS level other government contracts that are being deeply investigated now, and they're likely to not renew those. So we're looking at getting more and more people freed from the private prison for-profit system, and then also getting major commentators and, and uh, journalists, like we got the data article from Sean King, just straight up calling it slavery. So the momentum is on our side. So look for us to continue to be in your city. We're going to be traveling around and getting the abolitionist message out there, taking from the ancestors, picking up the torch like Max Parsons has been blazing the trail. I'm coming right behind you, bro. So peace to the abolitionists. Death to these oppressors. Word. I'm going to read words from Frederick Douglass out of his speech delivered in 1888 on the anniversary of the Emancipation Proclamation where he denounced it utterly. This is just a small part. You can find the rest on New Abolitionist Radio. He said, Every northern man who visits the old master class, the landowners and landlords of the South, is told by the old slaveholders with a great show of virtue that they are glad that they are rid of slavery and would not have the slave system back if they could, that they are better off than they ever were before, and much more of the same tenor. Thus, northern men come home duped and go on a mission of duping others by telling the same pleasing story. There are very good reasons why these people would not have slavery back if they could, reasons far more credible to their cunning than to their conscience. With slavery, they had some care and responsibility for the physical well-being of their slaves. Now, they have as firm a grip on the freed man's labor as when he was a slave, and without any burden for caring for his children or himself. The whole arrangement is stamped with fraud and is supported by hypocrisy, and I here and now, on this Emancipation Day, denounce it as a villainous swindle and invoke the press, the pulpit, and the lawmaker to exist in exposing it and blotting it out forever. And here at New Abolitionist Radio, we just say that abolition is a reason for a revolution, so we can finally know some peace. Peace. Rise up, rise up, rise up, rise up, rise up, rise up.
just lift your eyes up, let your wise rise up, see the signs of the times, if it's time, rise up, rise up, when death and hell dwell among all God's people, when those we chose and trusted have become completely corrupted and inherently evil, when the feast that feeds you starves our father's children, when snuff porn and pedo forms begin to get top billing, rise up.